You're listening to Summit Podcasts, where you'll find sermon audio, weekly discussions of the message, the Back 40 Leadership Podcast, and much, much more. Subscribe today at summitpodcast.church and share this episode with your friends. Summit Church, every life made different. Hey, good evening. I want to welcome everybody to Leadership Night on uh, this May the 3rd. Uh, evening. Glad you guys are here. I want to welcome all of you that are watching online or maybe you're listening to this podcast later. Uh, I am grateful that you've taken time uh, to spend some time with us and to grow your leadership this, uh, this evening as well. So if you're new to Leadership Night, basically what we'll do is we'll take uh, 25, 30 minutes to talk through a leadership concept together. And then, um, and then we'll take another 30, 35 minutes just to unpack it together. So we'll be done in 60 minutes total, but, uh, but yeah, the, be ready to ask some questions, uh, to engage and talk about how do we apply this to our specific situation. And for those of you that are watching online, we'd love for you to jump in as well in the comments section. And uh, I'm not even sure where all we're streaming this to, but wherever, everywhere, we're streaming it everywhere. That feels ambitious everywhere. But wherever you're watching this from, feel free uh, to make a comment, let us know, and uh, we'll do our best to answer those questions before we finish our time together today. So thanks so much. Um, hey, let me pray, and, uh, and then we'll get started. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for the f- people that are here. Thank you for the folks that are watching or listening to this online. I just pray your blessing on the time we've got together. I pray that you be glorified through it. And I pray ultimately we would be better leaders uh, than we were before so that we can serve your kingdom better, that your kingdom can advance and, uh, and you can be glorified. So God be glorified in and through us in Christ's name, amen. Um, first of all, it's good to see you guys. I missed this last weekend and I'm glad to be back. Um, been busy, was in Florida last week, flew in Sunday night late and I've been in Philadelphia since Monday, drove back, um, got back in town about 5.30 and uh, got up here, and so I'm feeling fresh and energized and excited, uh, but we're gonna have a good night tonight. Um, by the way, just a heads up, um, uh, make sure you're at church this weekend. We have, a, we have a exciting announcement about Johnstown that we're gonna be sharing with you, so make sure you're here this weekend for that. Um, hey, what's up? We got a few of our baseball players. Oh, I love our baseball players. Glad you guys are here. Um, so here's the deal. Um, tonight, we're talking through a leadership principle, but it's a little different. Um, Jesus said the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so one of the most important leadership principles we can have as leaders is to understand that our job as leaders is not to receive, but to give. Our, our job is not to take, but to support and bless and help and serve and, um, and I don't know about you, I feel like the world we live in today, the art of, of customer service is, has vanished. Um, it is, it is, it's hard to find good customer service in the world we live in today. And it's something that's so important to what we do. Uh, and no matter what your role is, no matter where your position is in your organization, uh, maybe you are the CEO or the CFO or the COO or whatever, you're in the C-suite, maybe you're a department leader, um, maybe you don't even, you're not even forward-facing with the, the public. Uh, the reality is knowing how to serve people is vitally important to helping us grow as leaders and to lead well. Um, and so the first thing I wanna tell you is 
Uh, there are a couple of books that I love, and you can get both of these on tape. Uh, on tape, how old am I? <laughs> stream them. Anyway, you can listen, audio version of both these books. Um, one is, uh, let me make sure. These are the two best books I've ever read on customer service, by the way. One is called Be Our Guest. It is by the Disney Institute on Leadership. You can find that on Amazon. It's fantastic. Um, it, it's one of my favorite books on customer service. It is wonderful. And then the other book is called Excellence Wins. It's by Horst Schultz. Uh, you might know that name because he was the COO of the Ritz-Carlton, and he was kind of the one who helped establish their culture of service. Um, and both those books are fantastic. If you're not really a reader, if you just put Horst Schultz in your, uh, in your browser on your um, podcasts, you're going to find a bunch of podcasts where he's been interviewed and talks about some of these principles we'll be talking about. And they're excellent. He does a wonderful job. And so again, both those are great books to read, but you can find a lot of these resources online. So let me just start with some common language. Um, in the business world, you might talk about customers or guests. And uh, if you're a consultant or an advisor or a counselor, you might talk about clients. Uh, if you worked for the government, you'd talk about citizens or taxpayers. Um, if you're in the education world or academia, you'd talk about students or parents. Medicine, you'd talk about patients. With churches or nonprofits, you might talk about members or donors. But really, at the end of the day, all those things have the common thread of they have needs. All those people we just mentioned, no matter what their title is, they have needs. Um, and, and their desire is that you can help meet their need, whatever the need may be. Now, maybe you have the power to do that, maybe you don't. Um, and so when I talk about customers, uh, that's probably the way I'll refer to them. Just understand that we're really talking about all these things. So when our church, we don't talk about customer, we don't have customers. Uh, we've got members, we've got uh, people who attend. Uh, there are people that are you know, part of our dream team, whatever it might be, but, but we're still attempting to serve them. They all have needs, people that come in our doors. And so let me help you with this as well. Um, when we helped start a church in Texas years ago, my girls were real little, I had to find a job because the church didn't pay because it was too small. We were just starting it and helping with this. And so I got a job at Starbucks because those of you who know me love, know how much I love coffee. So it was perfect because I don't, I hate coffee. I don't drink it at all. I don't even like the smell of coffee. So I got a job at Starbucks, which makes total sense. Um, but I learned a lot by working at Starbucks. And one of the things I loved that they did within their culture is they talked a lot about internal and external customers. So they talk about their external customers are the people that buy the coffee, but, but they also want you to serve the internal customer. And the internal customer is the people within the team. And so we'll talk a little about that tonight. But what I want you to understand is your job is not just to serve the people who are buying the products or the services that you produce, uh, but your job is also to serve those that are serving with you as well. So you have internal customers, you have external customers. And I know for me, even before service, I'll be in the lobby. And if uh, one of our greeters is walking in the door to find their place to greet, I will open the door for them because they are not less worthy of service than the people we're here to serve. Uh, I want them to know I'm here to serve you just as much as you are here to serve Others, And so it's important for us to understand that when we're talking about people that we are serving, we're not just talking about people outside the organization coming to the organization. We're talking about people within the organization as well. 
Um, one of the things Horst Schultz says is, whatever it is you do in life, do it with excellence. And I love this idea that we can do things really, really well, that we don't have to settle for mediocre, we don't have to settle for um, halfway. And this is something that um, I have the opportunity to do a lot of coaching with churches, especially smaller churches. And a lot of times smaller churches have the idea that they can't be excellent because they're smaller and they don't have a big budget. But the reality is uh, excellence doesn't require a big budget. You can be excellent without having a big budget. Excellence and perfection are not the same thing. Um, You can be excellent without being perfect. We'll never be perfect no matter how hard we try, but we can be excellent consistently. And so this is what we're talking about is how do we be excellent with the people we're trying to serve, with the, the customers, the clients, the members, whatever you want to call them when they come our way. Um, so, so if you like lists, um, I've got a couple of lists for you tonight. The first one is this. Um, one of the things they talk about with the Ritz-Carlton is this idea that there are three universal desires for customers. So no matter, no matter who we're talking about, no matter what your organization is, um, no matter what kind of product or service you provide, there are three desires that people have when they come to you. The first one is this. They want a product or service with no defects. Okay, so... Um, what was the last thing one of you bought? Just shout it out to me, anybody. Nobody bought anything today? A bottle of water, anything? Coffee, okay, we got a, a, a cup of coffee. Where'd you get the cup of coffee from, Brian? McDonald's. So let's say you go in and you get your cup of coffee, they hand it to you, it's got the top on it, uh, it's steaming out and you're like, great, this is gonna be awesome. And you take a sip of it and something's wrong, you take the lid off. And, um, and it's just boiled water. It's just water is all it is. Like you wouldn't be very thrilled about that, right? Because now the, the product has a defect. The defect is it's lacking what you really wanted, right? Um, let, let's be honest, we do this all the time where we get products that have defects. This is one of the things Amazon does really well that they'll say, hey, if there is any defect with this product at all, you don't have to ask any questions, just send it back. Have you ever sent something back to Amazon or you've done the response and they don't even make you send it back? They're like, no, don't bother, you just keep it. It's like, what? Like I did that with light bulbs one time. I bought light bulbs and they didn't make me send it back. And so I felt guilty, like I was stealing from Amazon. Um, But they make it so easy. They say, if there's any defect at all, because they understand this principle, you want something without defects. Um, Has anybody bought a car recently? Yes, Travis, you you expect the car to run well for a reasonable amount of time, don't you? Because you think it, it shouldn't have defects. But if you bought it, you drove it off the lot, and the second you got off the lot, just the wheels fall off and, you know, the hood flies up. And, My bought it was three years old, so the warranty technically is gone. Yeah. So, yes, but I still expect... You still expect it to run well, yes. right? Yeah, absolutely. So there's an expectation we have when we buy a product or we buy a service uh, that it will, it will be correct. Um, I mentioned a bottle of water. If you buy a bottle of water and you, you go to take the top off and you look and it's got stuff floating in it, you're probably not gonna be thrilled with that, right? Because there's an expectation it's going to be pure. And this is the expectation people have when they come to you for the product, services, whatever it is you are offering, that they're gonna get it free of defects. So it's easy to think about this in terms of products, like, hey, this is a product that should be pure. Um, but, but think about the processes and systems in your organization as well. Do you have processes and systems that are defect-free? Uh, I feel like I've been flying a ton lately and 
my sister was flying to, uh, she was flying to meet us for graduation in Florida last week and their flight got delayed. They were supposed to get into Tampa at like 6 p.m. And because of bad weather, things got turned around. She didn't arrive till like uh, 12.30 a.m. And so it's a long drive. And so what, what happened? And she said, well, we, there were delays and we flew to Dallas from Oklahoma City. We got to Dallas and our, our flight that we were supposed to be on from Dallas to Tampa, we were gonna miss it, but it was delayed too because of the weather. So we got there and we went from the gate we landed at, we made it to the gate. The flight hadn't left yet for the plane we were supposed to be on to Tampa. And they said, I'm sorry, we've already given your seats away. And they said, why? And they said, because we've rebooked you on another flight. She said, why would you rebook me on another flight? And they said, well, we anticipated that you would have an issue. And so the system, we didn't rebook you, the system rebooked you is what they said. And my sister was like, but this is the flight I booked and it hasn't left yet. And they were like, but we already gave your seats away. And she, she's wired a lot like I am. So she's very patient and easy to get along with and kind and never says anything mean to anybody, especially when they're frustrated. I'm just, I'm being sarcastic. So she was angry, which I would have been too, because they were very condescending. They were kind of jerks to her. Um, and what they were doing is saying the system, oh, the system, the system. But the reality is there was a defect in the system that caused her to miss her flight that she should have been on that would have put her there four hours, five, six hours earlier than what she arrived. So our systems can have defects as well. So it's not just about a product. It's not just about what we do. It's about the systems as well. Our systems and processes have to be free of defects. Um, the second thing is timeliness. So they want something that's pure. I'll just say it that way. Something that works right. Then they want something that is uh, timely. So let's say, uh, Brian, you stop at McDonald's for your cup of coffee and you wait 45 minutes, but they get the coffee perfect. How are you gonna feel about that? No, it's not the same. Because even though the product is perfect, it's not delivered in a timely way. So you're frustrated. Now it doesn't matter how good the product is, it wasn't delivered in a timely manner. People want things in a timely manner in the world we live in today. Whether you like that or not, that's just the way it is. And there's a certain level of patience people have for one thing or another. Uh, but at the end of the day, they still want what they want when they want it. So we have to understand people want things in a timely way, no matter how good the project is, uh, or the product is, it's gonna be rejected if it's not timely. Third thing is this. Um, they want, this is what people want. They want the person that they're dealing with to be nice to them. Have you ever had a bad customer service experience where you, you, you tried to get help with something and they just were totally not helpful? Not only were they not nice, maybe they were the opposite of nice. Anybody ever had an experience like that before? A couple of you? How come Brian and Travis are the only ones that have had bad customer service experiences? Maybe it's you guys. I know I have. I've had bad customer service experiences. Um, a few, let me think, back in February, I was in Dallas for some meetings. And again, we had some problems with flights and we got into DFW airport late. And I hate DFW airport, by the way. And um, the time of night we got in, we were gonna miss the rental cars being available. So I sent Kim, I was like, you go get the rental car, go. And she took off as fast as her little legs would take her. And I went to go get our baggage. The problem is the baggage came in earlier. So I had to wait because it was locked up in like baggage security. So I waited for like an hour and a half for them to finally get around to get our baggage. So by the time we got to the hotel, it was like 2.30 in the morning, uh, close to three in the morning. We rolled in there and, and I won't tell you the whole story, but the girl at the front desk, 
at the hotel was awful, terrible. She was rude. She was mean. I think she was upset literally because I interrupted her, her nap. She was asleep when we got there, I think, and we interrupted her. But she was not friendly. She was not helpful. Um, she was condescending. She was everything you don't want somebody to be at the front desk of a fancy hotel. And she was the opposite. It was horrible. Um, and, and I just know from that moment forward, I had a negative view of what that experience was gonna be like. It didn't matter how good the hotel was. Um, my experience with this one person set the tone for the rest of my experience. Uh, one of the things Ritz Carlton found is when they did customer service um, surveys with their clients, with the people who had stayed, um, whenever they had, uh, they, could, they could tell based on what their initial customer experience was, whether they would complain in the future or not. So if their initial experience was good, it set the tone for the rest of their experiences. If their initial experience was bad, it set the tone for the rest of their experiences. They were more likely to complain about things that they wouldn't have otherwise complained about if they would have had a good initial experience with the first person they came into contact with. And this is why customer service is so important. And some of you are like, Mel, why do I need customer service? It's because you are serving the people in your office as well. And when you treat them bad, they're more likely to treat another person bad, the person that they maybe are front facing. One of the things they talked about is in the Ritz Carlton uh, restaurants, how important it is for the chef to understand that they are serving the client by serving the waiter well. So when the, the chef serves the waiter well or the bellman who's taking the food up to the room, um, then they're more likely to serve that person well. And so there's this chain, chain reaction of kindness and goodness and service whenever we understand what one of the key desires is. Um, he added a couple more. I'll just throw these in there. Individualization is one that customers want more and more and more. Um, they, want, they don't want to be locked into things. They want flexibility. Uh, we can't get into all that right now. Uh, personalization is another one. This one makes a ton of sense, though. Uh, have you ever called the customer service line and they're like, uh, give me your account number. And you give them the account number and then you're just the account number. And then there's places that I will call and some sort of witchcraft, they'll answer and be like, oh, is this Mr. Massingale? It is. Hey, how are you doing today, Mr. Massingale? And I'm like, I don't know if the NSA gave you this, or the Chinese government or what it is, you know who I am, but it's nice for them to call you by name instead of, and one of the things the Ritz does is um, their bellman who, when a taxi cab pulls up and the trunk pops open, they're trained to grab the bags and look at the luggage tag so that before the person even gets out of the car, they've got their bags ready on the curb. And when they pay the cabbie and they get out of the cab, they can call them by name and say, it's so good to have you with us at this day, Mr. Johnson, Mr. whatever it is. And they also train them to, to not try their name if it's a tough one, because they also know this, if you butcher their name, now you've messed up the experience for them. So it's better to not say their name if it's tough because it's gonna give them bad experience. But if you can say their name, people love hearing their names. Um, even in our lobby, it's funny how many times I'll call somebody by name and oh, like I've had people in our church that I'll call them by name and they'll go, I didn't know you knew my name. It's like, well, we're not that big a church. Like I'm doing my best here, right? But they love hearing their own names. So when we can personalize their experience, it is all the better. Um, let me share this with you. This is three steps of service. This is really basic stuff. But if we can get this locked in, it's gonna make 
it's gonna make service so much better and so much easier. So three steps of service according to the Ritz-Carlton. The first one is this, a warm and sincere greeting. That does not sound very hard, does it? But think about your experiences in, uh, in okay, think about clothing stores. The first one I'm thinking of is like, I walk in to, um, I'm not even gonna say the name because some of the people that work there go to our church, so I'm not gonna say it. There is a clothing store in our community that you go in and nobody ever says anything to you on the way in. They never say anything to you on the way out. Um, you're never greeted. And there are places that you are greeted warmly when you walk in and, hey, it's so good to see you. Thanks for coming today. There are places that get this really well, do this really well. Has anybody ever heard of a place called uh, Moe's? Mo, it's a, like a burrito joint. I have them in the South, I know. So when you walk into a Moe's, they are trained on cue to go, welcome to Moe's. And it's, it's okay, great. Like, okay, you know, it's energetic. It's an enthusiastic, but it is definitely not personal. Um, it's something they have to do. And sometimes you see them and the person is doing it and they're not excited to do it. They're just doing it. So the Ritz-Carlton has this rule. They say uh, any employee who comes within 10 feet of a, a client or a guest, they have to greet them warmly and make eye contact. So I was curious about the 10 feet thing. So I started looking. And the reason 10 feet is the rule is because further away than 10 feet feels forced. So if somebody walks into the lobby and you're working on something over here and they're crossing you, hey, welcome to the Ritz-Carlton, glad you're here. It doesn't feel sincere. It doesn't feel warm. It feels forced. But when somebody is coming through your zone, you're working on something and you take the time to look up and greet them, look at them in the eye and go, thank you so much for being with the Ritz-Carlton. We're so glad you're here. It is hugely different than shouting at them across the room. Um, and this is what we need to understand. People want to feel welcome. They want to feel uh, known. They want to feel seen. And, and something as simple as a warm greeting can make all the difference. And so no matter what your industry is, um, whether you're forward facing or not, think about this, even in your office, uh, how big a deal it is when people walk in in the morning, just to say, man, Tina, I'm so glad you're here. I'm great. I'm glad to see you today. How's your weekend? Um, you know, just engage them for a minute, help them feel seen and known. It makes a huge difference when we will do that. Just a warm, sincere greeting with eye contact. Look them in the eye, take a minute with them and, and talk with them about it. I, I learned a lesson a few years ago. Uh, my last church, I'd been doing hospital visits for years. And, um, and one of the older ministers at my last church um, he, he said, hey, there's this guy in the church. He's been here forever. Why don't you go with me? I was like, great. So we went, because he wanted me to meet this guy. And we went in and uh, he said, and Dale told me, he said, we're not gonna be here very long, just a few minutes. He's not feeling well, but I wanna say hi. Okay, great. And so we went in and we were talking and Dale sits down. Didn't think anything of it. And I stood and we talked for a few minutes and we prayed for the man and we left. And as we were walking out, Dale said, hey, let me help you with something. Okay, what is it? He said, anytime you do a hospital visit, sit down. And I said, how come? And he said, because if you just stand, it makes them feel like you're busy and you don't have very much time. But at the very least, when you sit down, it gives the impression that you are there for them, that you're engaged. And it was like, oh man, this is brilliant, right? Like I hadn't even thought about that, but it makes so much sense because we want them to feel like I care about you. I see you, I've got time for you. And that eye contact, that warm greeting, even if you don't know their name, 
If you can call them by name, all the better. But if you, even if you don't, that greeting, that warm greeting and eye contact makes a huge difference. The second thing is use the guest name. Uh, if you can use their name, that's awesome. Uh, for that, that four months or whatever it is, I worked at Starbucks in this little town in Texas. Uh, we had a number of regulars. And um, one of the best things I could do is if I saw one of our regulars walking in, um, I would write their name on the cup and I would get their order ready. And we would get it ready. They would walk in. We would hand it to them as they're walking up. And then they just had to pay. Their name was already on it. Like that was special for those people. They knew, oh, hey, they know me. They see me. I, I knew their name. I didn't have to ask. You ever go to Starbucks and they, you know, what's the name on this? Mel. And you get it. It's like, Will. It's like, no, my name's not Will, right? And you probably have something like that. Uh, Kim said, my, my wife said, I think she said they put, have put Lim on hers before. I'm like, Lim? They're just making up names. Like, that doesn't even a, that's not even a word, Lim, like L-I-M. Anyway, but it feels impersonal, right? Because they don't know your name. And, uh, and it's so important for us to know the people's names of the people we're serving, if we can at all do that. Um, the third thing is this. So use the guest name and the third thing is this. Fawn farewell. Give a warm goodbye. And if you can use their name again, use their name. Um, because you want to start the experience well and you want to finish the experience well. Um, everything in between is important, but if you don't start well, the rest is doomed. And if you don't end well, they can forget what actually happened. And so you wanna be able to finish the experience well and tell them, hey, thank you for coming. Hey, thank you for stopping in. Thank you for being a part. I had somebody um, early on in my time here at Summit, I was talking to a guy and, uh, and he said, hey, can I give you some criticism? I said, yeah, what is it? And he said, I don't think it's appropriate for you to thank guests for coming to church on the weekend. Because if you've, all of you, I think all of you have been here before, you've seen me. Hey, if you're a guest with us, thanks so much for joining us this weekend. I'm so glad you're here. I will say that every weekend. And I said, okay, so how, how come? And he said, because you're creating a consumer mentality that, that you just come and you receive and like, okay, I get that. And I said, let me ask you a question. If I came to your house and we got dinner and I'm walking out, would you say, thank you for coming? Probably, like, that's what I'm doing. Like, it is that kind of hospitality I'm trying to offer. It's not psychological. It's not, and he was like, okay, that makes sense. But I think a, a, a thank you for coming. Thank you for being here. Oh, we're so glad you're here. It makes a big difference. And this is not a yay me thing. But one of the things I talk to pastors about a lot is no matter how good the sermon is in a church, a lot of times they undo it because they're too busy to talk to their people at the end of service. They're too busy to say goodbye. Hey, thank you for coming today. Uh, and that undoes all the work they did on that sermon and all the work they did on the platform because they weren't willing to talk to the people before or after the service. They weren't willing to welcome them. Hey, we're so glad you're here. We, they weren't willing to say goodbye when they left. Hey, thanks for coming. We'll see you next weekend. And, uh, and that's hugely important. And the same thing is true for you guys. A lot of times, whatever industry you're in, you're gonna do a lot of work, but you're gonna mess it up because the people that are buying your product or service are gonna reject it because you're not willing to welcome them warmly at the top or tell them thank you at the end. And so it's really, really important for us to get that and understand that. So um, these are really basic things, but they're things we forget. Um, and I've got more lists, but we just don't have time to go through all these. So this is the deal. Gosh, there's a lot here. And a lot of this is on the Ritz-Carlton website. So here's what I'm gonna do. We're not gonna go through a couple of these other lists. I've got, um, yeah, one, two, three more lists on here. We're not gonna go through the other lists, but if you, um, if you sign on the website, on the 
the uh, sign-in sheet and put your email address on there. I'll get you all this and the links so you can find them on your own and take a look at some of this stuff as well. So let's jump into some Q&A. Let's just talk about what does it look like to serve? What does it look like to do customer service in your context? Um, because again, some of you, you're like, I'm a solo operator. I'm doing this by myself. Uh, maybe you're in an office all day doing graphic design. And you're like, what does this look like for me? Let's just talk through this a little bit. And how does that look for us to serve people better and to take pride in our customer service? So let's jump in. Yeah, Trav. Uh, I work in radio, so... I work in radio, so yeah. my, my thing is we try to connect listeners with clients, mm -hmm. uh, which would, that would be your, your advertisers. Mm -hmm. um, so that's a, a challenge for us is to, to, to take what we're doing, you know, which is broadcast, whether it be radio or digital or whatever, uh, and connect uh, the different listeners with the clients. And it, yeah. you know, it, it can be very challenging. Yeah, for sure. And, and really... You've got two functions because you're, you're selling, I'm assuming you're selling ad time on the radio broadcast to, to companies and you're trying to get the people that are listening to the broadcast to actually patronize the companies, right? Correct. And so, yeah, it starts with, and so in that way, you've, you've almost got two sets of clients that you're serving. Exactly. So, yeah, that makes sense. And that's hard to do. It is. There's, but they're uh, equally important because if you have one but not the other, you're in trouble. Yeah, the pressure, of the, me the pressure of the message for the client, pressure of your message to make sure that people actually want to stick around to hear the message uh, sure. that is you know, being delivered and you know, good programming that people want to listen to. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. No doubt. That's a challenge. What else? Customer service. I know you've all had bad customer service experiences, and I know you've had some good ones, so we can even talk about some of that. I would love to hear some of your horror stories and some of your exceptionally good experiences. I'll throw one out. Um, I heard Southwest Airlines, they're not so much lately, but historically they've been really strong at customer service. And I read a story, I don't even remember where I read it now. Uh, there was a lady, she was getting on a flight from Chicago to Columbus, Ohio, <clears throat> and she was sitting on the flight. They had they were ready to taxi and they came on and said, excuse me, ma'am, we're gonna have to get you off the flight, come with us. And so she didn't know what was going on. They got her off the flight <clears throat> and they let her know that her son in Colorado Spring or in Denver had been in an accident and he was in critical condition. And of course she's a mama, she freaks out. She, now she wants to go west instead of east. How do I get there? What do I need to do? Southwest had already rebooked her for on a, the next flight to Denver to get her there. They had um, already moved her baggage over. So before they even got her off the plane, they'd moved her baggage to the new flight. They gave her a private room to wait in for her flight. They let her board first for that flight. And uh, there were some other things they did, which were ridiculous, like over the top. But you better believe they created a customer for life in that moment because they were willing to serve her really well, go, be creative in how they were serving her and go over and above in that moment. Um, and so customer service can, and this is why the Ritz-Carlton does this. It is not because they're just generous and love people. It's because they're trying to create a, a loyalty to their brand that it's going to be really hard to break. And that's what good customer service does. So, yeah. Michael, I know you got some questions. I think that one of the most common reasons why a person might forego pleasantries and customer service is because they're really busy. Yeah. And so as a manager, should you accept a loss of productivity for a gain in customer service? Yes, because, and that's, that's probably the wrong way to phrase it because you don't 
lose productivity ultimately if your customer service is high. You might in that moment, but in the long run, you won't. Because you, you might, because, uh, okay, there, there are places in our community I've been to that I don't frequent as much because the customer service is bad. Um, and so they, they're, they were more productive because they were rude. They didn't engage me in a friendly way. You know, I'm going through a drive through and they don't even make eye contact with me. They take my card, they scan it and they hand it and, right? Um, and so they, they gain something in that moment, but they lose something in the long term. So I'd make that trade every, every single time. Now, again, if you've got a woman who's standing in the drive through talking to people for 15 minutes, then yeah, you're gonna, lose client, you're gonna lose customers over that. So there's a balance to it, but yeah, I think absolutely, I would default to, to serve and, and take time with them every time. I was, I was at Taco Bell and it, it took 45 minutes for a, a customer to get her stuff and she was mad. Yeah. She came up and said, uh, uh, you're, you're taking care of the drive-through, but you're not dealing with the inside. Hey, I've, I've done that. Cause I'm yeah, like, ha- oh, there's eight people in the drive-through. I'm just gonna run in. And one hour later, right? Yeah, I, like, I, I, oh. I, it was a half an hour until I got my mail. Yeah. Uh, I, I didn't uh, get angry or anything. Yeah. Well, a, it, and it goes back to that thing that people want things in a does, timely way. They must have call a lot of call-offs. Uh-huh. And she, yeah. There's one lady there and some there. Okay, so let me kick this back to you guys. In that situation, they might have had a lot of call-offs. Their customer service is slow. How can they serve their clients in that moment well, even though they know this is going to be slow? We're going to give you a good product. Well, Taco Bell, but you know. Uh, <laughs> but it's not going to be timely. Um, so how, how do you overcome that in that situation? Any suggestions? Uh, maybe a coupon or something yeah. that, at, or some kind of voucher at the, at that point of the transaction with an apology. Mm-hmm. We understand that it took a little bit longer than you probably expected, but here, um, here's something for your next visit. We really appreciate you, uh, bearing with us and, absolutely. you know, and enjoy your, your dinner or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. Any other thoughts or suggestions? A what? That's a good one. Communication from the beginning. If you were listening online, you might not have heard that. But yeah, communication up front. Like when somebody comes to order, hey, we're, we're kind of short-staffed. I just want to let you know it might be a little longer for your order. Is that okay? It might not be okay, but at least you've communicated that at the top. I like that. You could reduce the options too. So if they would have just closed it inside and only yeah. done drive-through, yeah. everybody's in an equal opportunity to get in line. Yeah, absolutely. So there's lots of, there's lots of ways things like that could have been overcome if we're thinking with a customer-centric mindset instead of um, what's best for us or easiest for us. Even with our staff, we got a few staff in the room, and one of the things we talk about a lot as a staff is we don't make decisions based on what's best for us. Um, because if I'm gonna be perfectly honest with you, the best thing for me to do a few years ago when we built this kids and youth building would have been to go build a gigantic auditorium that we could put everybody in for one service, and I could preach one time on a weekend. I wouldn't have to preach three times or four or whatever. I could do it once and that'd be it. That would be the best thing for me. That'd be the best thing for a lot of our volunteers who serve once and they don't have to worry about it again. Uh, but that's not necessarily the best thing for our people. The best thing for our people is more options, more opportunities. And so we've got to filter decisions that way sometimes. Hey, what's best for the people that are coming to receive what they need from us? So yeah, that's good. Do you avoid certain situations when you know that you can't be pleasant in them? Like maybe you're just having a really bad I'm day. I'm always pleasant. <laughs> I am never not pleasant. Yeah, uh, yeah, for sure. There are definitely times when I have to go, 
okay, I can't reflect the love of Christ in this moment. Like I am in the way and I've got to remove myself or I'm going to get myself in trouble. Uh, I'm going to get myself kicked out of, uh, of the, uh, this airline. I'm never going to be able to fly this airline again. You don't want to see your pastor on one of those videos screaming at a flight attendant. So anyway, not that I would do that, but you know what I'm saying. So yeah, you definitely have to. I think all of us do from time to time. Yeah. I think that big churches are often um, accused of having a lack of intimacy. And so what are some strategies that you've used? And it's used? not all false. Big churches do have a lack of intimacy at times. But I will tell you, and I'll let you finish your question. I will say this though. I've been in some small churches that lacked intimacy. So it's not about how many people attend on a weekend. It is about the makeup of the people in the church more than it is how many people are physically in the building. Um, and even, even, even restaurants do this well. You can go to some big restaurants that feel intimate and warm. Uh, it's more about the culture and the environment than it is about what's actually happening sometimes. So, so I get that. But yeah, that's true because you can feel isolated in a big church. So go ahead and finish your question, sorry. Uh, so what are some strategies that you've used in big churches that would translate well to large organizations? So one of the things I think about here is, say you work for a company yeah. that is the biggest company and there's really not any competition because of the size. And so customer service is not a top priority because where else is anyone yeah. supposed to go? Um, but then one of the things that I know that staff are taught here is that even on your, like, your worst day, when you're you know, communicating with people out in the community, you have to try to be pleasant and do well. You yeah. know, and, the, and we take that seriously. Um, and so that's just one example, I guess, of a strategy that works in bigger churches that would translate well to larger organizations. Do you have anything else that you personally practice? Yeah, so as a church, one of the things we talk about is the bigger we get, the, the, the more intentional we have to be about being small. And this is one of the reasons, like practically, we push people to small groups and serving because serving is not just about like a function, a utility of doing something in the church. It's about, we wanna get you in relationship in a smaller group. So, um, so from our church's perspective, um, if you go to a smaller church of 50 or 100 people, you're, you're only going to know 20 people really well. You might know 100 people by name, but you're only going to know 15, maybe 20 well. And, and that's the same thing we want to replicate in our church. Our church is bigger than 100, but we still want you to know 15 or 20 people if we can. And the way we do that is to go, let's get smaller, because if all you do is attend a weekend service— it's not going to happen. But if you get into a small group, if you get into a serving group, you know, get on a team, get in a group, then you're more likely to find those people. We intentionally get smaller. And I think there are probably ways that companies, you know, of people sitting in this room, there's ways to create a, an experience for the clients or your customers where it feels more intimate same kind of principle. You take something that feels big and make it smaller. And some of it is some of the principles we've talked about, calling people by name, uh, remembering things, uh, being attentive to what they need. I, I read a, well, I'm not apologizing for this. I've read a lot about the Ritz-Carlton over the last few weeks, but um, I, I read a, a story about a, a, a maid at the Ritz-Carlton. <clears throat> she noticed in the trash can that uh, th this guest, she was cleaning the room and she noticed in the trash can that the guest had picked all the nuts out of the chocolate chip cookie, okay? So the, the next day when the 
guest came back to their room after it had been cleaned, she had had a plate full of cookies made, chocolate chip cookies with no nuts. And again, she was just attentive to the needs of that person. And again, it's a big organization, but in that moment, it felt very intimate, right? It felt small, like, oh, they see me, they know me. And so I think, again, we can apply some of those things to big organizations. I mean, like, holy cow, Diamond's gigantic, right? But there are ways that you can distill this down and go, okay, we're gonna make this personal and intimate and try to take a big thing and make it feel smaller. And I don't know if that makes sense. Does that make sense? So you had mentioned that the Ritz-Carlton has a 10-foot rule uh-huh. about not trying to force conversation or force anything like that. Um, if you're in the sphere of selling a service, mm-hmm. uh, what's a good general rule that's like, okay, I want to I wanna invite a little bit more communication or try to find <clears throat> things out, but I also don't want to force it and make these people feel like I'm pressuring them or anything like that? Well, I would probably, and I'm, I would love to hear some of your responses too, because I know there's some people in the room in sales. Um, in a sales environment, uh, I would, I never feel bad about approaching somebody. So like what they're talking about with the Ritz-Carlton is people who walk through a 10-foot zone around you. And so again, people are passing by and you are engaging them. They are seen and known. But if, you, if you're in a sales environment, especially, I wouldn't feel bad at all about approaching people. And because again, it's not about making a sale. It's about helping fulfill their need. They have a need. So if like, if you're working for a car dealership and <clears throat> somebody walks on the lot, they're there already. Like they have a need and you probably know what their need is if they're on a car lot, right? Like I know they need a car. So it's not about making a sale. It's about saying, how can I help fulfill the need you have? How can I help take care of the need you have? And in my experience, when we apply biblical principles to things like sales, it's amazing how good it is because typically in sales environments in the world we live in, People aren't really looking out for the client, they're, they're the customer. They are, they're trying to get a sale. They're trying to bring home the bacon, which I get. But when you apply biblical principles like, hey, I'm gonna be generous. Hey, I'm gonna be selfless. Hey, I'm gonna put others first. I'm not here to be served, I'm here to serve. Um, it's amazing how sales can shift from, hey, give me what you've got to, hey, I wanna give you what I have. Uh, I don't know if that was too philosophical an answer for you, but I, would, I wouldn't feel bad at all about approaching people that are way outside that 10-foot lane because, it's, again, it's not about closing them. It's about inviting them. Hey, I've got something to offer you. I, I, what is your need and how can I fill that need for you? That makes sense? Anybody else have any feedback for that? <clears throat> Trev's down here. He is. You know, and... I, with us, like, you know, sales is a two-pronged thing, and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, not, a, I'm not a seller, mm-hmm. uh, but, you know, I, I sit in an office all day. But to be successful, you have to, you know, when you're going to meet clients, you have to get to know the client and know them, but you also have to be able to help their business. Mm-hmm. So it's a two-pronged thing. You have to connect with them, um, you know, on a social yeah. or on a, you know, relationship uh, style but also be able to assist their business. So it's, mm-hmm. it's you know, it's, there's, there's two prongs to that as far as, you know, how you interact with, with the, the people that you're, you know, you're meeting with. Yeah, and we're kind of deviating a little bit, but when you said that, it makes me think of this. Um, there was, um, <laughs> this is just a few years ago, I was sitting in my office 
And I've got a rule that I will always talk to missionaries or evangelists when they call because I will at least talk to them and say, we're not interested instead of making them call the church a thousand times and try to chase me down. So I'll at least talk to them and say, no, thank you. And so um, whoever was working front desk buzzed me and said, hey, and they called this person by name. I knew who they were. They're an evangelist. And they said, he, he's on the phone. He'd like to talk to you. I said, great. And so I got on the phone. This is Mel. And I'm not going to say his name, but he said, Mel, this is so-and-so, so-and-so from, and I don't even remember what the ministry is called, but I'll just, it was like revivalfireministrynow.com. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing fine. How are you? But he had like pastor voice going. He said, I'm doing well. Are you sitting in front of your laptop? I'm like, I am. He's like, I want you to pull up my website, revivalfireministrynow.com. Can you do that for me? Sure, I'll do that. I'll pull it right up. And he said, I just want you to take a look at the, the um, recommendations page. Click on the recommendations tab. I want you to look at all the recommendations we have there. And I was like, okay, great. He was like, now, now what I want you to do is go to my, go to my uh, calendar and take a look. We are booked up for months in advance, but I wanted to call you to get on the calendar with you. And when could I get on the calendar for you? When I would love to come minister at your church. When could I do that? I was like, man, let me, let me just tell you. I don't care who recommends you. I don't know you. Like, I, I don't know you. So, uh, so I'm not interested. Uh, well, did, take a look. And I was like, no, 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 no. And I just said, let me help you with something. And, and this is me. I'm, I can be, I'm a jerk like this. But I said, let me help you. And I said, here's what you needed to do. And I almost said his name. Here's what you needed to do. You needed to call and say, hey, pastor, this is who I am. This is what I do. Tell me about what you guys do. How can I help you fulfill what you need to do? What is your vision for your community and for your church? Hey, is there a way for me to support that? That is a dramatically different offer than, I, I, you need me to come do a service for you because I'm dynamic. And, uh, and he didn't appreciate that very much. And so he hung up the phone and I am not exaggerating. Almost a year to the day, my phone rings. It's the front desk. Hey, so-and-so's on the phone, he'd like to talk to you. Great, because I told him at the time, I said, if you're ever coming through the area, I would love to buy you coffee. I'd love to get lunch with you, just talk and get to know each other. Maybe there's a fit, never happened. Anyway, so he calls me, I answer. <clears throat> Pastor, thanks for answering my call today. This is so-and-so from revivalfireministrynow.com. Do you have your laptop open? I'm like, oh, sweet baby Jesus. <laughs> like, oh, are you kidding me? <laughs> he doesn't even remember that he called me, right? And so I go through the same thing with him again. And about halfway through my spiel, I think it was like, oh yeah, I call. I, why did I call this guy back? Anyway, but it's just such a great reminder. It doesn't matter what industry it is. If I'm trying to close someone, I, it's gonna lock a door. But if I go, hey, tell me about what you need. You know, what's going on with your company? What's going on in your home? How can I help you get better and fulfill what you desire to do? That's a win, man. I'm gonna... I can close those people as a salesperson because it's not about closing them. It's about helping them figure out what they need and helping supply that for them. Anyway, talking about sales now, sorry. Going back to customer service. And to me, sales and customer service go hand in hand. If you're, if you're really serving the customer well, you're gonna sell them. So. How do you get over your own insecurities when approaching someone? <laughs> uh, that's a great question. Anybody have any thoughts on that? Fake it, yeah. I think that's part of it. Be honest and be yourself, yeah. Um, yeah, go ahead. I was at Walmart, mm -hmm. and this guy's like, oh, can you give me a ride? And then 
I drive down the road, can I have money? And I was like, how money? <laughs> there you go. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's why I don't go to Walmart. Yeah. Right there, so. I, was like, I was like, I should, yeah, yeah, I should have said no. Because you should have I, said I spent all my money at Walmart, my man. So yeah, yeah. He had a Walmart hat on too. Okay. <laughs> he says, my tires are flat. I need a ride. And he's like, yeah. Can I ride? Okay. Do you uh, believe in um, my word and cash? <laughs> well, there you go. Well, in terms of in terms of insecurity, Michael, I think a lot of organizations. Um, I, I worked for a so I worked for a headhunter for a couple of years, and when I did the initial interview, I, I approached it just like this. It was like like straightforward. Going to apply my biblical values to this. And I got, I got the job. And so later, like a few months later, the regional manager said, Mel, when you left, I ran to the window because I wanted to see what you were driving because I wanted to know if you were money motivated. And it was like, oh, okay. Um, because she made a judgment call based on what I drove or didn't drive if I was money motivated. Um, and I think that idea is important in sales because there are people who can set aside a lot of things, their insecurity or their principles because they're money motivated. Um, they're just trying to get that, you know, that dollar dollar bill and they're just trying to get ahead. And so they're willing to do some things like be uncomfortable or lie to the client because they're money motivated. And not that being money motivated is a bad thing, but I think being people motivated is way better. Yeah, one of the things that I've always done um, is understand that almost everyone is exclusively thinking about themselves almost all of the time. <laughs> and so... That is jaded. <laughs> well, public speakers know this quite well. They can uh -huh. say something just profoundly ridiculous, and then three days later, everyone forgot that they said it. And that's uh -huh. because in their rank order of priorities of things that they're spending their time thinking about, the faux pas is not very high. And, yeah. um, and so you could approach almost anyone. And if the conversation doesn't go well, you can approach them three days later and you may get a fresh start depending yeah. on, you know. Well, and this is why, um, you know, I mentioned in the, one of the bonus things that Horst Schultz said that, um, that customers want is an individual and an individualistic experience. They want to be able to, to, to make things individualized. Well, I don't want that. I want this. And they use the example of Subway where they can literally make everything. They can make a totally unique sandwich based on what you want. Right. Um, and, and people want that even in church experiences. Um, I mean, and I'm not trying to be critical of anybody in this room or anybody in our church, but, but the reality is everybody looks at our church that comes here on a regular basis and goes, I love summit, but I'd like it better if they would just do this because they have an individual desire for whatever it is. And the truth is we can't always do that. And not that we even should, but it's, it's that there's a line to all those things where we go, yep, we just can't do that, sorry. Um, and so, yeah, when it comes to the individual and us, how we communicate and what we say and all those kind of things, at the end of the day, it really does come back to their perceptions and their views and their yeah, you had mentioned in passing that one of the things that's valuable to a customer is that they are able to maintain the freedom to switch or change from product to product. Yeah. You didn't get too far into that, but I, I'd like to ask the question, how can a church or a company incentivize loyalty without stepping over that value and making a person feel trapped? Because it seems to me that in the church world, at least, 
we want people to find church homes and yeah. to stick it out at that church home and a company okay. would probably want to. So let me thing. answer from a business perspective first. Um, Apple has ridiculous brand loyalty in the United States. Um, they have very little market share in India because their phones are too expensive for the normal person in India. So, um, so they've had to figure out other ways to get market share. And they've done that by going, okay, what are they doing? What are they already doing that we can give them products for that um, we're not trying to t change all their behavior. We're just trying to get them to modify a little bit, basically. But one of the things I understand in the United States is, hey, we're just gonna keep making this better and better and better and better and better. And not that iPhones are perfect, but let's be honest, most of us have iPhones. Um, and part of the reason is because they're simple, they work well, they're, you know, Apple's customer service is good, all those kind of things, but they continually raise the bar so it makes it hard, hard not to be loyal to it. Uh, and so I think, I think companies, they, get, they go bad when they settle, when they go, okay, we're good. Like, no, we don't need to expand. No, we don't need to dream bigger. No, we don't need to, that's when things go bad for them because they get comfortable and they get complacent. Uh, and so I think it's important for anybody who's leading an organization, leading a team, a group to continually be going, how can we get better? What do we need to develop? Um, how can we make their experience better than it is? What is it the things that they need that they don't even know they need yet? Um, they're anticipating needs. And that's some of what the Brits Carlton does really well. They anticipate needs. So with the church side of it, it's a little different because um, <clears throat> part of our job is not to... Um, well, part of our job is not to just um, continue to satisfy the needs of consumers, but to help consumers become contributors. So it's different in the church world because it's not just about going, hey, every need you have, we're gonna satisfy your need. We're gonna take care of that. Because ultimately it's like, we wanna connect you to Jesus. He's gonna satisfy your needs. And then you're, you need to grow up, right? Like you need to be mature enough to start meeting the needs of the other people around you and serve them and bless them. And, and so it's a different mindset and model. And, but I think, um, I told somebody the other day, like I don't, for me personally, I don't think I ever sandbag sermons. So like I never, every weekend I wanna preach the best sermon I've ever preached in my life. So I, it's not like, okay, in three weeks, I'm gonna preach a killer message. This week, I'm gonna mail it in a little bit. Like every weekend, I'm like, I'm gonna give my very best. I'm gonna study, I'm gonna work, I'm gonna get prepared and I wanna deliver the best message I possibly can. And that's why I want us to approach things as a church because every weekend I want us to go, okay, this is the best we have to offer you. And if it's not good enough or if you don't like it or you like something else or you want hymns or you want a pipe organ or whatever, great. That's not who we are though, so... Does that make sense? Does that answer your question? Yeah. Well, the Apple piece is, is particularly useful here because yeah. what they've done is they've created an ecosystem such mm -hmm. that your phone, your experience with your phone is diminished if you decide to buy a Windows laptop instead yeah. of a Mac laptop. And Absolutely. So the same thing, I think, translates at least to church. Mm -hmm. If you grow up into a contributor, then your experience at church is different because you're, of your contribution than it is if you're just consuming. And you can't just... Yeah. A lot of times you, it, you can't walk in to a church on day one and have the same impact that you can if you have the roots that have grown down yeah. in space. So going back to what we talked about with small groups or serving and those kind of things, um, I, I've told our staff before, I want every person in our church, I want their best friends in our church. If we can make that happen and help them find their best friends, I want to do that. Because what that does is it allows me to preach everything I need to preach 
And somebody might get offended by something I say, but they can't leave because their five best friends go to our church. Does that make sense? Like, I, I love the team I serve with too much. So I, I don't like that Mel said that, but I'm not leaving because I love the, these people so much. And, um, and that's kind of what we're talking, like with Apple, what you were talking about. If, if we can get people connected relationally, get people connected to what God is doing through the Holy Spirit here, then uh, it gives, I don't have to dance around, not that I do anyway, but I don't have to tiptoe around topics or things because I'm like, oh, these people might leave if I say this because... I can say whatever I need to. So, yeah, good question. Got about five minutes left. If we got any more questions, customer service related specifically. Hello, that was nice of you not to make him walk around. You were just serving Michael, well done. Um, I was gonna ask about, in my line of work, there's not a lot of face-to-face interaction with the team members mm-hmm. after the initial training. Mm-hmm. So as a group, like what could be recommended to still connect with them, even though they're kind of out in the field doing their thing. I know, and you might not want to say this because we're streaming this, but uh, can you tell me what you do again? I've forgotten. Um, I work with individuals with disabilities. That's right. Of course, I knew that. Um, So you're talking about in terms of the people you work with or the, the clients that you are serving? Kind of both, because once they're with a team member, I don't see those individuals either. Gotcha. Uh, my, my advice would probably be that whatever window you've got with them, that's how you just serve them really well. You look out for them, you take care of them. Probably some of the stuff you're already doing, just because I've been around you a little bit enough to know that's kind of your heart anyway. So probably just understanding, hey, I'm not going to have a long runway with these people, but as long as I've got whether they're whether they're clients or they're people I'm working with, that this is how I'm gonna serve them and take care of them and honor them. Uh, one of the things they say, the, the Ritz-Carlton, what their motto is uh, that we are ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen. And so they make it very clear, hey, we are not servants. We are serving, but we're not servants. We are ladies and gentlemen. And we're gonna, we're gonna act like, we're gonna present ourselves as ladies and gentlemen as we are serving ladies and gentlemen. And so I, I like that idea when it comes to what you're doing to say, hey, what I'm doing has dignity, has value, and I'm gonna carry myself in that way, but I'm gonna treat the people I'm serving with dignity and value as well. I'm gonna honor them really well. I'm gonna give them a great experience in you know, whatever that might look like, whether it's training or development or coming alongside. But yeah, I don't know if that makes sense. Anybody else have feedback on that? That's a good question. I have one more question. Okay, you got three, two and a half minutes, so make it count. Um, so, no pressure. Do you think that it's ever a good idea for a business leader to implement something like planned obsolescence? Um, you know, just if we provide the best product we possibly can and we build it as well as we possibly can, then we might actually not be able to sell any more of them because people are going to hang on to this one that they have. And I know that there's some notable companies that have implemented these kind of policies. Mm -hmm. Do you think that they're just trying to hack their way into higher profits and that that's just a bad idea all around? Or do you think that there are situations where something like that should be tried? That's an interesting question. Um, I don't know. For me, this is just my personal take on this. I, I think um, if, if I'm producing a product uh, that I can put in somebody's hands, it's going to make their life better. But 
but I know they're never gonna need this product again. Like they're a one, one-off consumer. Um, I'm, gonna, I'm still gonna do that because they're gonna tell somebody else about it. Uh, you know, this product is so good. I mean, I've got, I've got these hoodies that I love. They're called American Giant, by the way. It is an awesome hoodie. The thickest, best hoodies I've ever bought. They're expensive, but I love their products. And I'm an evangelist for their products because they are long lasting. They cost, they cost like 130 bucks for a hoodie. They're not cheap, but they last. So I've been an evangelist for them and I've told people like, oh dude, I like your, dude, you need to check out, right? And so, and that's not gonna last forever. And it, but here's the deal, as a matter of fact, I, I sent them an email, customer service. And I said, hey, I've got this sweatshirt I got in 2015. Um, <laughs> Hey, it's, it's frayed around the, the cuff and one of the seams, you know, on, on the inside of the arms are frayed. And I, I said, is there anything you can do? And they responded back in like two hours and said, take some pictures, send them to us, send us your original order. So we'll see what we can do. Um, the next day I got an email back from them saying, Hey, we've got a, a new sweatshirt coming your way. You don't need to worry about the old sweatshirt. We just want to take care of that for you. And I was like, dude, I'm never buying another hoodie anywhere else again because of the way they took care of that. And, and their sweatshirt's so good that it made me an evangelist to tell other people about it. So I, I would tend to believe, you know, we hear about manufacturers that are like, we don't wanna make it too good because we need them to buy another, you know, refrigerator in four years. It's like, well, no, what if we make a refrigerator so good that they tell their neighbors about it? And man, this refrigerator's awesome, you know. So that would probably be my, my approach. It just feels more, oh, more uh, full of fidelity, integrity that way too. So that was a long way of saying, yes, I would do that. So, hey, it's eight o'clock. I would love to chat with you guys some more. If you've got questions or wanna talk or just catch up or whatever, I'd be delighted to do that. For those of you watching online, those of you listening to the podcast, thanks for joining us. Let me pray and we'll cut you guys loose. Lord, we love you and we're so grateful that, um, that you served us by sending Jesus for us. So God, I pray that we would endeavor in our hearts to serve others well, that we would look for opportunities to, to create excellence in our lives as we create excellence for others. So God, I pray that we would pay attention to the needs of others and, and just look for opportunities to meet those needs. God, use us this week to bring you glory and to reveal your goodness to people around us. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Guys, I love you. Have a great day. And don't forget, I said, if you're, if you're here this weekend, we got a special announcement about Johnstown and uh, in our weekend services. So make sure you're here this weekend. Love you guys. God bless you. Have a great night. If you enjoy this content, please let us know by rating and reviewing the podcast. You can also contact us at summitpodcast.church. Remember to share this episode with your friends and on social media. Summit Podcasts can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Thank you for listening to Summit Podcasts, and we will see you in the next episode.